In a CBS News YouGov poll, 65% of voters feel the economy is getting worse. An AP poll says 70% of registered voters say they're dissatisfied with the way things are going in the U.S. As President Biden pivots to abortion, economic strategist David Tice will tell us if the cultural wars will have any impact on voters. And then the CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, they vote unanimously to add the COVID vaccines for school children. Uh, Dr. Henry Ely is here to talk about the outrage from parents and the Boston Lab story that's using gain of function with COVID variants producing a 80% kill rate in mice. Crime is a growing theme ahead of the midterm elections. Sergeant Betsy Smith and Lieutenant David Smith will explain the impact on election 2022. It's all next on Viewpoint this Sunday. the lies and deceit and bring forth real talk from real people about real news providing the out loud truth and capturing the essence of a new generation all in a fast-paced hour this is viewpoint this sunday welcome to the weekend news magazine viewpoint this sunday it is malcolm out loud yeah, elections, 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 economy, elections, abortion. <laughs> it depends, I guess, the way you look at things, friends. But uh, surely the administration is attempting to make abortion the uh, big uh, uh, crisis into the election. But the question we ask up front here is Americans buying into that point there. Typically, as we know, the economy is typically the number one issue. It's, a, you know, it's the kitchen table issues that people will vote on. Uh, let's start there now and get into some economy here. We'll do that with David Tice joins us. And David, uh, you've been on before with me as an economic strategist. He's the founder and portfolio manager of the Bearish Mutual Fund, Prudent Bear Fund. He managed that back in 96 to 08. Uh, he's become sort of a uh, uh, cultural player now, doing some uh, documentary films, things of that nature. And uh, David, good to have you here on Viewpoint this Sunday. Thank you for joining me. So glad to be with you, Malcolm, and you're very intelligent listeners. <laughs> Terrific. That is the only ones we have that listen here, for sure. Uh, all right, let's talk about this, some of these surveys and stuff that we're seeing now. We're just weeks away. I mean, we're, what, less than three weeks away, just a couple out now, two and a half weeks from the midterm elections. What do you make of the signs that you're seeing right now? You see the administration try to pivot over the last couple of months to abortion, uh, are Americans buying into that? The polls are still saying that it should be a red pickup because of the economy, because of inflation, because of crime, et cetera. And obviously the Democrats are trying to uh, make people pay more attention to the abortion issue. They're winning with some voters, certainly, but I think it's still going to be a red wave, in my opinion. I think the Democrats have screwed up here by... A couple different issues specifically in okay. terms of gender modification and in terms of uh, defunding the police. Right. Uh, those big issues, I think, 
most commonsensical oriented people are saying there's something not right there. And therefore, they're leaning back towards Republicans. Uh, registered voters who say abortion is very important favor Democrats over Republicans, and we would imagine that to be true, by nearly two to one, David, 55% versus 29%, which is why the uh, administration has pivoted, because they can't run on their policies, they can't run on the economy, you can't run on any of those things, so you have to run on something, so you're running on this sort of a cultural war issue, Listen to this. 70% say the future of democracy in the country is very important. Democrats hold a narrow lead among these voters. So this surprised me. 46% support Democratic candidates of those folks, while 40% back Republican candidates. Why do you think that is? Let's get into the psychology a little bit about that future of the democracy, because that's a catchphrase that you're hearing a lot these days with where we're at as a country. Why do you think more Democrats are concerned with that than Republicans? That surprised me. Yes, that's a bit of a shocker to me. But I think that came from this narrative that Democrats have, you know, been trying to outlined for a while, talking about the deplorables, talking about the MAGA movement, and Joe Biden talks about that, how this is a right-wing takeover, and talking about the insurrection, supposedly from January 6th. Therefore, there's a lot of naive people that are buying into that narrative. And so, frankly, it shows the Democrats have won you know, in terms of convincing people. And that's why we all have to be very vocal to our friends and relatives and tell them that this is a lot of poppycock. You know, I was thinking about that actually coming into the program today, what you just said, uh, because based on what we're talking about with the future of the democracy, isn't a lot of it as well, because the megaphone, the media is is really owned by the, the socialist Marxist left. Uh, they're pushing these narratives out there. And even as bad as things are, they still give it a soft landing. So people are that not that outraged. And it's, you know, it's far from the truth. If this was on the other side of the aisle, David, and there was uh, the Republican president that was running on these sort of numbers and what have you, what do you think the media would be doing? You're a thousand percent right, Malcolm. The big issue is the media. So I'm a big fan of Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin. And yeah. so he was involved in some debate recently. And the New York Times explicitly said that he is a source of misinformation as, as far as that being a fact. And, and obviously there's different opinions about what he says, mm -hmm. but from a newspaper like the New York Times, but how should we expect anything less to make that kind of blatant fact. I mean, that's yeah. certainly a travesty. Yeah, and the problem is people believe it. Uh, a lot of people still believe if they're reading it, it must be true. Or if they're seeing it, it must be true. Nothing could be further from the truth. All right, so currently 38% of adults approve of Joe Biden's job performance. I don't know who those 38% are. But anyways, 59% disapprove. Yet, listen to this, 41% say they favor the Democratic candidates in their districts. 
while a nearly identical percentage, 40%, David, say they support Republican candidates. That's, that's out of this Pew Research that I'm using as a, as a reference point here. Uh, 18% are not sure how they would vote or favor candidates other than Republicans or Democrats. Good luck with that. So here, here's what I'm really wondering. If the numbers are 41 and 40 that are favoring the, the 41% of Democrat candidates in the districts or the Republicans, 40%, yet if an economy is driving an electorate and we have the kind of numbers we have, why are those numbers? I, I'm a little shocked by this part of the Pew Research, the 41% saying they favor. What What are these people? I, I This is other than twisted, tainted headlines. I'm not even sure what they're looking at. 41% say they favor Democratic candidates. But yet we've just laid out the policies are not working from the Democratic administration. The economy is tanking. Uh, why do you think that is? Isn't this kind of weird? I think a lot of it, Malcolm, is a number of people that are not doing as well look at the Democratic Party as a way they're going to get more from the system. Mm. There's going to be bigger mm. handouts from uh, a Democratic administration. Although I was also shocked by the fact that there are more Democrats coming from college-educated households than uh, Republicans, which I was a little bit shocked because typically uh, college-educated people, college graduates are obviously doing better you know, financially from an income perspective. And the fact that they are still leaning in a majority to the Democratic side, it just shows how well the democratic liberal narrative has been working. And as you said before, that's a thousand percent uh, due to media orientation. And then you see that uh, the administration has just released uh, the last of this 180 million uh, barrels from our strategic petroleum reserve. The last batch was 15 million barrels of oil from this. It's very controversial to say the least. I think uh, since about last March, they knew this was going to be a tough year, David, in the election and the midterms. And, I, you know, they've tried to put this new green energy sort of blow up the energy system. I don't know what you want to call it, but it's it's stranger than hell. And you're seeing some of the transition of this now. I've been noticing the last many days and weeks, a lot more electric cars coming onto the market. It looks like these car companies have been strong-armed to go along, to get along. It appears with the incentives coming out of Washington. What's your sense of all this? Uh, can it work? Will it work? Where's I mean, I, this is getting stranger now, this whole thing getting on this Green Deal plan and EVs and then, you know, trying to trick the electric by releasing all this strategic uh, petroleum reserve. What, what do you make of this from the energy side of the aisle? Well, this is an outright disaster to this new focus on EVs and California essentially mandating that all cars will be EVs in a decade or so. So you mentioned a documentary that I've been involved with. I've produced a documentary called Grid Down, Power Up, and it essentially talks about the vulnerability of our power grid. But our power grid is very dated and rickety and frankly it's not 
well protected from adversary threats or from a geomagnetic disturbance, a solar flare that we're bound to have in the next 20 or 30 years. But for us to put even more uh, burden on that grid by getting individuals to all depend even further on the grid. And we've seen recently uh, the fact in California, there's been problems with enough supply and therefore you're already telling people they can't charge their cars. We've had cases in Colorado where there's been adjustment of thermostats because there's not enough energy. We had the crisis in Texas where we were four minutes, 37 seconds from the grid going out for an extended period of time. This is our grid is not in great shape and it's not protected. And there's no way we should be putting more and more burden and reliance on the grid for our uh, movement in vehicles. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a that's a really great point. I hadn't thought about the uh, that in the sense of what you just put out there. And I'll tell folks more about that in a moment here. So we're seeing now a lot of big business leaders come out, uh, Jeff Bezos, and says, um, uh, he says, and I quote, yep, the probabilities in this economy tell you to batten down the hatches. Uh, he was saying in an interview he had, he put out. And then J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon says, uh, warn- he warns of the troubles ahead and said it's very, very serious, two varies, <laughs> serious and that the U.S. will slip into a, a good recession in the next six months. Of course, many people say we're already there. Uh, and then, of course, Elon Musk says uh, just, uh, what, about a couple of months ago here, he has a super, super bad feeling about the economic outlook of the country. So now you're seeing there's a whole lot more of these cats that are coming out in that same way. You uh, did an interview in a piece on CNBC uh, in July 21, you said it's very dangerous to invest in stocks and Bitcoin right now, uh, you were saying, and you were talking about where the market is, the market's overpriced and the future earnings, and we're adding debt like never before. Now, things have gone bad worse since that particular interview you had. We're now debt-wise as a nation, we're now $31 trillion and counting quickly with all of these giveaways they're doing. Let's take a look at the big picture right now. Uh, what what's your honest sense of things looking uh, right now, and with these warning signs that other economic leaders, some of the uh, you know major business leaders, are sounding the warnings here? Well, we've been in a bear market with the S and P down about twenty two percent, but a lot of people because they've gotten used to buy the dips are feeling like okay, we had a decline, now it's off to the races again, and the market always goes up. Well, I feel like that is a going to be a tragic mistake. Uh, Jamie Dimon did mention there there were certain probability or is certainly possible that the market could be down another 20%. Frankly, I think we can be down another 30% or so. So here's a few reasons. One, you look at the international monetary system and you look at where we are in terms of the collateralized loan obligation system, CLOs, and the leveraged loan market are right now shut down. Uh, we have 40 international countries in big trouble because of higher interest rates and a rising dollar. We've had the yen crash down 25% in the last year. The Chinese renminbi is down about 12%. Now, 
these might sound like kind of esoteric issues for some of your uh, listeners. However, these are issues as far as what's going on in the financial plumbing, very similar to what happened with the GFC the in 2008, as well as the crisis in February, March 2020, when the market fell about 40%. The euro dollar system is breaking down. Otherwise, earnings are going to slow down dramatically, and we're still selling at 20 times earnings. You look at the geopolitical front, you look at Anthony Blinken, Secretary of State, just said a few days ago that the calendar has been moved up for a Taiwan invasion. It is very, very possible. And with Xi just being re-inaugurated to being a lifetime leader in China, with China's economy in trouble, China being very dependent upon the newest chips, it's very likely that there's going to be a Taiwan invasion. And therefore, that could lead to a massive war. And if that happens, the market's probably going to be down another 40 or 50%. So there's all these risks, plus the fact that we have interest rates and mortgage rates up dramatically from where they've been in the past. And with the $31 trillion debt level, my gosh, it's a 22% decline in the market simply isn't enough, given all the problems we've had. And we don't really know the severity of the collapse we're going to have, whether it's just a uh, severe recession or a uh, borderline depression, do we? No, it's hard to say how this plays out. It's more likely to play out in a stagflation with some more inflation, but just a crashing economy. Uh, I think that there's a number of experts that say that we're likely to have a deflationary phase and that some of this inflation has just come from the supply side. It's not really coming from the demand side. Uh, I'm still seeing hotel rates up a lot. There was a study recently that said that uh, that the average household expenditures, looking at a typical basket of uh, purchases was up about 35% year over year. And therefore, we know we cannot trust the government with their hedonic price deflating mechanism, et cetera. So it's just a very tenuous uh, situation right now. Of all the uh, the um, economic crises we've had and the things you've studied over the years, is this not the weirdest moment or, or am I overstating that? Or is this the weirdest climate right now? And if so, have they overplayed their hand? It's definitely the weirdest climate. And as you mentioned before, the whole emphasis on critical race theory and gender modification, et cetera, and politicians lying to us like we've never seen and with the media complicit in this and with this massive amount of debt and then Fed tightening. And we know how dependent that the U.S. government is paying out interest expense and with this massive amount of debt we've never seen anything like this and it, it's going to be it's a great movie to watch if it wasn't so tragic in terms of the consequences for uh, ordinary people uh, the landscape is going to change safe to say uh let me tell folks now that film that film by the way is that released out there now david is that out there 
Yeah, yes, it is released. So it is on our web, website at griddownpowerup.com. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you can watch it today and probably for the next three or four days. We're likely to take it off the market for about a month while we build a crescendo of interest for a hard release. Wow. So right now we've had a soft release, but we're going to have a major marketing campaign uh, leading up to a launch. And therefore, to lead up to a launch, we're going to have to take it off the market for a while. So you can watch it over the next couple of days at griddownpowerup.com. Tell your friends. Uh, we have the trailer available on our website. We also have the capability for you to write letters and emails and sign petitions and make phone calls to your regulators, legislators, and your members of your board of directors of public utilities. You and go. you can do that just from, you know, recognizing even from the trailer, how much risk that our oh, yeah. Yeah. civilian infrastructure has. Yeah. I've seen this film and it is, uh, it is well, well done. I mean, it really makes you think if you weren't thinking before this film, you surely will be thinking after this film to be sure and it's based on life. I mean, it's facts and data, and the story tells itself, and the risks are real. Uh, and I pray to God we never have to go through some of the calamities that uh, we could experience from the electric grid, which we've been talking about for some time, and David took it to another level in this film. Now, if you go to americaoutloud.com, up at the left top sidebar, where a lot of the activities are, you'll see there's a direct link right into that film. Uh, Grid Down Power Up is what it's called. GridDownPowerUp.com is the site. It's it's the name of the movie, and you can see that right there, that clip there. Uh, David, thank you for joining us on Viewpoint this Sunday, sir. Glad to be with you, Malcolm. Look forward to next time. A couple of very interesting stories coming up next with Dr. Henry Ely. Stay right there. More Viewpoint in just a moment. The America Out Loud talk radio app is on Android or Apple. It's the perfect way to listen in to the new generation of talk shows and hosts who are ready to inform and inspire. Cold and flu season is here. Wouldn't it be great if you had a way to minimize airborne viral threats? Well, now there is, and it's a povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray called Cofix RX. You might even say it's just what the doctor ordered. To reduce your chance of getting hurt, you wear a safety belt when you're driving. To limit sun damage, you wear sunscreen on the beach. Cofix RX is just like that. It's an additional layer of protection. It's sold by thousands of pharmacists and medical doctors nationwide. It's made right here in the USA. Again, it's a povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray. You've heard them talk about it here on the Outloud Network over and over again. Check out cofixrx.com. That's C-O-F-I-X-R-X.com for a retailer near you or use coupon code OUTLOUD for 20% off at cofixrx.com. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. A couple of big stories here coming up next year, and one is, you I'm sure you've been seeing this, 
but the uh, the CDC, they're, uh, it's called the ACIP, the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, uh, ACIP, ACIP. I have a few other uh, adjectives we could use, but probably shouldn't do that early Sunday morning here. And um, in any event, these 15 members got together and they voted uh, to uh, make the uh, COVID chart uh, part of the kids' uh, va vaccination schedule, if you were, the immunization schedule that the kids usually get, which, by the way, a lot of people are even questioning the routine vaccines. We get many people in here saying, I don't trust them anymore. That's where they really messed up here. And uh, the word vaccine has become so toxic in itself that I think they've done a lot of damage here. Uh, we'll start with that story and then have this other very interesting one out of the Boston lab, which we'll touch on. Let's bring on Dr. Henry Ely now. Uh, Dr. Ely is a licensed naturopathic doctor, founder of Energetic Health Institute. He's the author of over 200 published works, the lead author on a series of peer-reviewed research papers. He's involved in the in a grand jury indictment trying to get these uh, uh, which is part of kind of where I want to start, uh, actually, Dr. H. And we'll go at Dr. H here, but uh, since we're all friends. And uh, uh, but, you, you know, the op of the message you put out uh, just the other day here was to point out, listen, there are people making these decisions at these organizations. It's not, you know, it's not the organizations doing this in a vacuum somewhere. Mm -hmm. But who are the people who are making these crazy decisions and you go ahead and you point that out in the piece, which is getting a lot of play at America Out Loud. Meet the 15 CDC members who voted to add the deadly COVID shots to kids' vaccine schedule. So let me ask you this. A lot of people don't really still understand why this is a bad thing. Why mm -hmm. is this a bad thing? Well, Malcolm, it's it's a bad thing because uh, for several reasons. Number one is that they added a shot to a childhood schedule when that shot is still in clinical trial. And we lay that out in the article that Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson are all still definitively in clinical trial phase three. They're not going to be out of clinical trial on their primary um, clinical trials until uh, late 2022 and early 2023. And those dates keep getting moved back, by the way. So they, whenever they need more time, they just push them back. Now, why is now, that? Why is that? Well, they, they do that. Who, who knows? Honestly, who I mean, really is it because, knows about uh, what, that? What I'm asking or wondering is, is I, I mean, I don't really know. Is it because they don't get the right results? Is it because why? I mean, why did they? I mean, you would think they'd anxiously want to get those results out. Well, I don't think either any of these companies are anxious to get away from the PREP Act. I think they that's why uh, the Biden administration keeps prolonging an emergency that doesn't exist, declaring, you know, extending the emergency out because it gives them that extra uh, protection from civil litigation under the PREP Act. Now, by adding these shots onto the schedule, they get the additional protection for children uh, from the 1986 National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act. And specifically two clauses in there that we lay out in the expose that uh, that really prevent Americans from suing these pharmaceutical companies when the, their kids are injured or killed by the shots. So the products are not approved by the FDA. They're in clinical trials are still taking place. Big pharma vaccine companies get to put these shots, this product, out to the mass public with no risk whatsoever. And by chance, if somebody gets seriously ill or dies, it's on the person who took it, not the people who made the product. Is that correct or incorrect? 
That's all correct. And then if somebody is injured, they right now have to go through a, a separate body called the CICP, where there have been six cases that have actually been agreed that six people died or were severely injured by the shots. But those people still haven't received any compensation. But here's the problem with that, Malcolm. The compensation still comes from the American taxpayer. That money that is going to ultimately start getting paid out to families where their kids or a loved one was murdered by these shots or severely injured by these shots um, is still going to come from the American taxpayer. It's not going to come from Pfizer. It's not going to come from Moderna. It's not going to come from Johnson & Johnson. They are all profit, no risk. And that's a terrible recipe for freedom. Yeah, I've never seen that. I don't think in our country where in a capitalist society where you could just put something out there and have no impact whatsoever from the result of the product. That's a hell of a business model. It's the only product in our country's history. It's the only product currently in the world that has this level of protection. Yeah, got to think about that, people, and think, what does that really mean? And why do they do that? And I guess they do it. I, I, the farm, I guess what? The f big pharma is in bed with big government, I guess. they. Uh, I think they all have money in each other's stock and getting fat, <laughs> rich, and happy. Is that it? It, it? It's the only explanation. We follow the money. And where does it always take us? Corruption. Yeah. All right. So these states now, these are, here's, here's the argument put back. And this is what I'm seeing. These are just guidelines. We're not telling people really what to do. This is the CDC now. These are just guys. These are like nothing. This is like silly putty, Henry. Come on. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so states can make the decision. So there's a difference. I mean, if you're living in California, you know which way that state is going versus a direct opposite of that. If you're living in a state of Florida, you know where that state is going. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. what do you say about that argument? The guidelines, of course, a lot of people don't follow any of this stuff. They think the CDC walks on water and mm -hmm. then whatever they say they bow down and kiss their feet or you know mm -hmm. like to kiss their ass too but anyways what do you say about that it's a corrupt cop-out that's exactly what it is these 15 people have done something unprecedented in medical history and in u.s history they have violated the nuremberg code yet again this is very much on a extreme level similar to the tuskegee experiment People who've gotten the shot have been completely lied to, so no standards for informed consent have been achieved. The shots are not necessary, especially in children with a 99.998% recovery rate, according to the CDC. They are not safe with all the incredible advancing that we're hearing in myocarditis, with the recent studies that have come out of Taiwan and Japan, with um, the, the records that we have in VARES already uh, supporting this, with the number of people who've died and the number of people who've died within 48 hours of receiving the shots. These shots should be pulled off the market and the clinical trials closed. There is no prevention of infection. We know because they stopped reporting breakthrough cases because so many people who got the shot were still getting sick anyway. And on top of that, everything is still in clinical trial. When you put that recipe together for 15 people who supposedly have a background in medicine and, and research and supposedly are upheld to ethics, right? to does this, is this even necessary for children? This is infuriating at this point that these 15 people would vote in unison to experiment on our children. What's going to happen is when it's added to the childhood uh, schedule, not only do these companies get protections, but now the states like California, where it is 
you have to have all your shots before you go to school. You just sentenced children to death. These is these are the things that they are trying to say. Well, it's just a state issue. That is a corrupt cop out. There are states that already demand students have to get all their shots before they right. go into a classroom. In those states, you just sentence children to death. And you have no doubt that some kids will die from this. There, it, it, We already have proof that children have died from the shots. Right. Ernest, Ernesto Ramirez Jr., Simone Scott, we already have definitive proof that children have been killed by these shots. Now what's going to happen is the CDC has put it on the schedule. California has mandated it before a parent, before a kid can get into a classroom. There are going to be children who are getting these shots that their parents otherwise wouldn't have given the shots, but except to access things like public education, and those children are going to be severely injured and die. All right. Any idea why, the, I mean, I don't know that you know this, is there any idea why those 15 CDC members would vote this way? They're corrupt. When, when people show you who they are, you have to believe them. This is why, Malcolm, I was saying in the, in the opinion piece, we have to stop blaming alphabets. We have to stop blaming buildings. We have to start blaming people and shining the light on them so that they don't get to hide in public. That's why I put their pictures, which are all public domain on the article. That's why I put the contact information in there, because we need to let these people know that we know who they are and we and they answer to us, not their secondary slave masters. Right. And and the, that's these are the people what you're saying is that are making the decisions to put this kind of rubbish out there. Uh, that that article is is really fantastic. It's one of the best. Uh, and it's well put together with all kinds of links and information in it. If you really want to be versed on this and have some knowledge, uh, it's right at americaoutloud.com. In fact, on the left sidebar, there's a new area that is called, uh, let me get there. It's called Talk Radio Talk. How ingenious. Talk Radio Talk. And so these are the kinds of hot buttons we're talking about all over the place on talk radio. And you'll see it right there. Meet the 15 CDC members who voted to add a deadly COVID shots to the kids vaccine schedules. A lot there. Now, let me get to this other big story. And if that doesn't mm -hmm. really irritate you this morning, friends, this next one surely will as well. So at Boston University, a lab up there. They are doing some experimentation, uh, which you heard a lot about gain of function uh, through the Wuhan lab. Well, this here is very similar to that. They've taken the variant, a combination of the Omicron and the original virus in Wuhan, uh, and they are experimenting on these things on mice, and they, it, which has killed this new thing they're doing, has killed 80%, get those numbers, 80%, of the mice infected with it, the university has said, uh, like proudly or something like that, some massive accomplishment of some sort. Uh, what do you make of this? Uh, I, I mean, I'm seeing reports here that are pretty bad. Uh, what do you mm -hmm. what do you think about this story? This is a horrible thing. This this is what I was telling people this week. We have to really keep over target on. We can't let this one go. This is what would happen. We have a level three biosafety lab in the heart of a city. That should never happen, number one. But they are doing, supposedly, we are investigating this still, level four research. Level four research that Boston University claims was approved by the Institutional Biosafety Committee. Guess who houses the Institutional Biosafety Committee? 
the National Institutes of Health. So now this little fake outrage that the National Institutes of Health is putting out saying, well, we should have been contacted about this research before it was done. Your board, the I, what is it? The IBC, the Institutional Biosafety Committee, a board made up of 13 people approved the research at Boston University. So it is a joke for the NIH to say that they didn't know about this. They knew about it when the research was approved. And I'm going to guess that they requested it, that they wanted this research done. Then they said there was a second group that approved the research as well. This group is called the Boston Public Health Commission. The Boston Public Health Commission is supposed to be made up of six people, it's made up this year of seven for some reason, but it's supposed to be made up of six people appointed by the mayor of Boston. What qualification does the mayor of Boston have to put together a handpicked uh, commission on public health? And especially when the head of the handpicked commission is a gentleman by the name of John Fernandez, who's the head of Massachusetts ear and eye hospitals in the city. Now, you you got to you got to you can't make this stuff up, Malcolm. 20 people approved research at Boston University to take something that is a bioweapon already and lethal already and make it more lethal and do level four research at a level three facility in the heart of a city to execute. This is this is unconsciously bad. It's like nobody watched I Am Legend the movie. It's like they nobody realized this is a bad sci-fi movie unfolding in front of us and we got to shut this one down as well. We got to yeah. shut the shots and these this research down. They're going to try to kill us all. Well, if anything goes wrong as you say or suggest there, uh it would be catastrophic. I mean, to, it would make COVID look like child's play. And it would, in fact, I've seen, well, here's a quote. This, this is interesting from Senator Roger Marshall. Listen to this. He says, mm -hmm. and I quote here, this research must stop immediately. It is unconscionable that NIH sponsors this lethal gain of function virus research through Boston University and Eco Health Alliance in densely populated areas. And here, here's the drum roll, people created potential to kill more people than any singular nuclear weapon. Yep. He's right over target. That's how I feel about it. These kinds of policies. Now, I was just thinking about this coming into today with you, like the fact of forcing the vaccines onto the kids. Uh, how much do you think uh, that moves the needle when people vote uh, with these kinds of stories, because I find it peculiar that these are always leaked just before mm -hmm. an election. Um, mm -hmm. So how how could this um, impact the election, you think? But I think what, what ends up happening here, Malcolm, is that people, we need to simplify this. I'm a single issue voter now. Health freedom, period. That's all I care about is my health, my family's health. That's it. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I am just an American. All I care about is, are you going to vociferously and aggressively protect my health freedom? And what that does include now is shutting down gain of function research. And it does include shutting down these domestic biolabs and biolabs all around the world. This nonsense has to stop. Anyone who's saying that, like Carrie Lake running in Arizona for governor, you've got my vote and my, and my endless support. If you don't say that and you're sitting on the fence, get out of my face. You're a liar, and I'm sure you're on the take.
And that's how simple it is now. And that op-ed again is back at AmericaOutloud.com. Be sure to check that out. Meet the 15 CDC members who voted to add deadly COVID shots to kids' vaccine schedule. And he says in there, by the way, very, very well, That's not. we're not talking about getting hate or doing ugly stuff. We're just talking about bringing it now to their attention. He spells it out very, very well. All the links and follow-up are in that op-ed. Check that out there, friends, as well here. Uh, the spokesman for the National Police Association, Sergeant Betsy Smith and Dave Smith are here talking about crime and feeding into the 2022 midterm elections. More Viewpoint in just a moment. We are the vision of the voices. You can email us at talk at americaoutloud.com. Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com where we're healing America one person at a time. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free, love it, or your money back, guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code out loud. One of the big issues that uh, is impacting the election, and surprisingly so for a lot of people, is crime. And of course, crime is very personal. I mean, if it hits you and your life and the way that it is doing many, then it surely becomes a driving force uh, in how you're going to vote. Uh, that's the question of the next segment I'd like to really discuss with all of you here is uh, the crime impact on the 2022 midterm elections here. And we'll do that next with Sergeant Betsy Smith is here. She's spokeswoman for the National Police Association and Dave Smith as well. He, he is one of the most recognized police trainers and is a great author as well uh, in uh, law enforcement. Uh, very recognized. He, he's done a, is, and those of you in law enforcement would know he's done a series of these humorous training sessions, J.B. Buck Savage, which a lot of people know him. Of course, Betsy has other names for him, but that's beside the point. Hey, welcome, <laughs> Betsy and Dave. Welcome into the program here. Um, Thanks, uh, Malcolm. Uh, you do have other words for him, right, Betsy? Uh, <laughs> well, yes. Uh, sometimes I call him lieutenant, sometimes yeah. honey, some things I can't say on the radio. Exactly. I wasn't lying. I wasn't, I wasn't lying. I wasn't lying. All right. <laughs> Let's talk about crime now. And um, uh, usually in these elections, as we've stated up front with The Economist, you know, the economy is what drives an election. Now, the administration in recent weeks has been pivoting as they see they have really no good policies to run on. So they've been trying to use abortion as a the, the cultural wars to get the cultural wars going uh, to try to drive the electorate. But the other factor in here is crime and the escalating crime. And, you know, again, you know, you defund the police, you have this war on police, you create all these problems, you, you've got all these corrupt DAs. I mean, wasn't this all predictable, guys? Well, it was predictable for us, Malcolm, you know, a, a little over two years ago when uh, after George Floyd died, 
the vilification of law enforcement that really started after the Ferguson shooting in 2014, it, it just ramped up exponentially. And you saw this vilification of American law enforcement. We were lied about. We were called racists and killers. And virtually every politician on the left and some on the right decided to say that the police were bad, the police are evil, the police are racist, all that that combined with the the woke district attorneys and states attorneys, starting with Kim Fox in Cook County, Illinois, and spreading throughout the nation, they decided that they were going to get more people out of prison, put less people in jail, take less people to court. And of course, all of us who, who think logically were able to go, this is not going to go well for the American public. And here we are over two years later. It's not going well at all. Yeah. You look at some of the stats, Dave, and you look at some of the latest stats from the major cities. Chief Association, the MCCA, show that crime isn't just a big city issue now uh, that you're seeing it in suburban and rural areas and that the uptick. Uh, there's a, around a they're saying a, a, at least uh, well, they, they actually phrase it this way, at least a 27 percent increase in homicide rates. Uh, San Antonio saw 27, Milwaukee 36%, New Orleans is off the charts. It's really become a crime center. So what do you think now, Dave, coming into this election? What, what's, uh, what's your sense, what's your gut feeling about the impact on the way people will vote? How much does crime factor into that? Well, I think in spite of the fact of the media, uh, the mainstream media trying to ignore the trends and ignore, ignore the tragedies, all you got to do is see it, pick any social media and it's permeated with videos of young people attacking elderly people, young people stabbing people, young people shooting people, and mentally uh, ill people hurting people. And it, you, regardless of what their effect, I think it's going to have a very powerful, powerful effect. I don't think these polls are measuring it because, frankly, I think a lot of people are now that they've been demonized are terrified to answer a poll. Yeah. So, so we're not getting the real picture. You're saying. I don't believe we are, and I believe it's going to be a huge impact on this election. The key is if we had real real mainstream journalists who would ask really hard questions of these prosecutors, they'd be exposed yeah. for the, the pure ideologues they are. They're unrealistic ideologues, and it's it's created this bizarre, dystopian world we live in today. They, they have a utopian dream that doesn't translate to the real world, and now go right on a subway. And then the mayor of New York wants to mm. rationalize away people being murdered in the subway. This really is escape from New York time. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sergeant Mitzi, with the uh, being, you know, a, a spokesperson uh, for the, the NPA, the National Police Association, let's talk about a little bit what I've been seeing in past weeks now. It's really gotten to a, I don't know, I'd almost say a crescendo uh, moment is this, uh, the killing, the execution of cops uh, that are happening now. And I'm wondering how that plays into it, because, uh, you know, you're starting to see, uh, at least I think you're starting to see that uh, I would imagine people are seeing the pain. They're seeing what's happening to these uh, to these cops and these families. Uh, they're being targeted specifically and, and executed on the spot. And there's been a rash of these things. How much does that play into this thing, please? Well, I think especially in the last couple of weeks, people have seen that, you know, we had a fake 911 call drew in three police officers in Bristol, Connecticut. Two were murdered. The third officer was uh, able to return fire and kill the offender. We had a, a, a veteran officer in Las Vegas murdered also on a domestic dispute. We had a female police officer in Mississippi murdered on a traffic stop. We just had a tribal officer shot 
uh, this weekend in Washington state. We believe that officer is going to survive, but we have had 56 police officers murdered by gunfire. We've had well over 250 police officers shot so far this year. And the left loves to talk about gun control, but not when it comes to to shooting cops and not when it comes to using the laws that we already have on the books. But I think our citizens are seeing that the people that they are depending upon, American law enforcement, to try to keep their neighborhoods safe, despite the fact that we're horrifically shorthanded and we can't seem to recruit new people to the profession. I think people are seeing the problem. I hope that it translates into votes. And I I think what we're seeing right now, um, for example, in New York State, where you just saw Lee Zeldin, the the Republican candidate Mm -hmm. for governor, just overtook uh, Kathy Hochul, the unelected uh, governor of New York, in the polls. And I think a big part of that is crime. Lee Zeldin himself, while he's out campaigning, his twin teenage daughters were at home doing their homework in the middle of the day, and he had a shooting occur right outside of his home in Long Island. So I do believe people are seeing this. Now, in places like Chicago, the city, I don't know if that is going to translate into votes because the people there in places like Chicago are just trying so hard to survive, to get by. And I'm not sure that they're paying attention. And we've also got to understand that you've got the leftist elites in many of these urban areas who don't have to worry about crime because they have gated communities and you know armed uh, security guards at their apartment buildings and things like that they don't have to particularly worry about their own safety and they are pushing hard for these leftist um politicians to win and continue the crime spree that's happening in america so we'll, we'll see the, the other problem with areas like chicago betsy is that they're not uh they're sheltered from the truth. They're not really hearing the truth. And you say it well. I mean, they're 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 wrestling with their own really very deep, deep, deep problems. I mean, that's another factor. I'm sure that factors into the crime buildup right now is probably the economic demise people are hurting. That tends to create more crime as well, doesn't it, Dave? Oh yeah. You know, I, I once again, like you're saying, is is that these urban areas it's almost like if you watch the media from you know wgn or one of these things out of chicago mm-hmm. you know and, and of course you know betsy we still have lots of friends back there but less and less we're we're creating our own little village you know out here out west you know of retirees who are fleeing and yet at the same time i don't know what's what to say because it's frustrating to me that i like to think the american populace is rational enough but it seems like so many people are downtrodden and so many people will just come home and they turn on uh, their old soap soaps or their old comedies and then just ignore the reality of what's happening and it's it's terrible well yeah. and i want to say malcolm that you know just because you know we talk a lot about poverty and crime just because you're poor doesn't mean you're going to be a criminal. It's just what Dave said. You know, being a criminal is a rational choice. The problem that we have in, in urban areas like Chicago is you have these law abiding people in these neighborhoods that are solely controlled by the street gangs. And that's one of the things we don't talk about enough in this yes. country. And it's not just in <laughs> Chicago. You know, you, you go to Philadelphia, you know, New York, Miami, <laughs> um, Los Angeles, we are we used to talk a lot about street gangs in the 80s and on into the 90s for some reason we've stopped talking about it and and a lot of these a lot of cities like chicago 
Um, you have people who say, well, you got to get rid of those gang databases because they're racist. Well, that's one of the things that, that we saw from the progressive uh, uh, prosecutors is it was prejudicial to have this database. Yet uh, uh, gangs are a criminal organization. They literally are organized crime and they terrify. And gangs come from fear. They create fear and they, it's a self-generating uh, process where they are creating their own recruits by creating the terror they do in the neighborhoods. And they're more than willing to roll out to the suburbs or do anything. There's FBI says 33,000 gangs, not gang members, gangs in wow. the United States. Wow. Think about that. 33,000. Just like where I used to be a highway patrolman up on the Navajo reservation. It, you know, the, 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 we saw in the 90s a proliferation of gangs on, on the reservation. How mm. mo There's nothing more rural than that. And yet, at the same time, where do these come from? These are kids who are afraid, so they join mm. these gangs. But you can't even talk about it anymore because they, the, the ability to mute a free people and make them silent in the in what would be normally a wonderful point to rationally debate is just part of the indication of the illness of today. Yeah, it's these gangs that you're speaking about, uh, that's something for further conversation, Dave, because that sounds to me like that's an epidemic in itself. Uh, based oh. on the numbers you just said, I had no idea or reason to think there were 33,000 of these uh, gangs, uh, not members, but gangs you're talking about, huh? Right. And here's one of the problems. You know, we talk about mass shootings. Chicago has a couple of mass shootings every month, but no one talks about it because it's, it's gangster on gangster. Part and of the routine. One, yeah. It's one of the routines. In fact, when, uh, who yeah. was the prosecutor or the mayor said, well, it was just a mutual combat. Yeah, Kim Fox. Kim Fox. Yeah. <laughs> George Soros's first prosecutor that he brought that he that he brought yeah. into Cook County. We had we have all, it's it's on video from last year. Gangs shooting at each other. You know, you, you can tell exactly who they are, where they're at. And she said, well, we're not going to pursue this because it's a mutual combatants. Um, it's insanity. Those are yeah. felonies, every single one of them. And I guarantee yeah. you, one of the problems, when you catch a gangster in Chicago and he's in possession of a firearm, he's an illegal possessor, he's probably wearing an ankle bracelet uh, keeping track of him, and there's going to there be no yeah. prosecution. But a legitimate concealed carry person from Indiana goes over to go shopping and gets caught with a right, concealed right. handgun. They're going to get seven years. That's well, what you're saying right now, that's why gun control doesn't work based on what you just said right there. No, it, it only works on the law abiding. And that's that's, that's exactly part of that it. moronic ideas that you see. That's that's pure dystopia. <laughs> you pass laws that you don't intend to use against criminals. That's not that's tyranny. That's not. That's not logical. Boy, that is so perfectly said, Dave, right there. Think about that. I, I just got to freeze that moment a moment. You, you've said it about as well as I've heard it said, Dave, uh, that that's tyranny, actually. That that's that is so accurate. Uh, you know, to handcuff a, a law-abiding legal people based on the criminal intent and based on the examples you just gave, criminals don't follow laws to begin with. So they don't really give a rat's ass to them whether you ban them or don't ban them. They're going to use them. <laughs> And uh, so that kind of says everything right there. All right. So bottom line, uh, coming into this election now, more so than other elections and based on the fever, this 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 uh, this uh, crime fever we're experiencing in our country, you think that crime is going to have more of an impact, uh, Betsy, in uh, this election now? I really do. I think that I think the economy is going to be the number one issue. And I think number two is going to be crime and safety and security because it you know, like Dave said, it's coming out of the cities. It's and it's in and it's, you know, in cities like Portland and Seattle that did enjoy, you know, and of course, New York that enjoyed a measure of safety. 
now that now people who felt comfortable in their neighborhoods no longer feel comfortable, they're leaving those areas. And then we see people in the suburbs where they never had to deal with crime on any personal level. Now we're seeing carjackings and burglaries. And let's not forget um, the fentanyl crisis is also hugely impacting people in the suburban and rural areas. And that also is a part of the crime problem we have. And of course, that marries up with the border problem we have. So I think that people are starting to pay more attention because it's affecting them more. If you have 100,000 dead young people from fentanyl, that's a lot of people that are going to pay attention to what's happening with the war on drugs and yeah. and uh, and crime in America. Yeah, but it's yeah. all interrelated. That's exactly right. You know, you can't say the federal government ignoring our immigration laws, ignoring our sovereignty on the border isn't in, in, intrinsic to also the criminality that we're seeing. You know, uh, nobody's screening these thousands and thousands of illegal immigrants entering the country here in Arizona. As a young police officer in the 70s, I just remember thinking how often we arrested felons for rape, robbery, car theft. They were all out of Mexico and they would come across and they were essentially what, what I considered urban predators. They would come across legally during the day. They may have a green card to work in the United States and they go and they would prey on our community. Then at night, go back to Nogales or or, or, or uh, wherever they went in Mexico. They were, it was, you know, when we had that natural yeah. proximity, the vast majority back then who came across were coming to work, yeah. legitimate, nice, good religious people, family people, absolutely. Yeah. And that, and at the same time, you can't talk about those criminals, criminals without being branded as some kind of racist because you're trying to point out this is a foreign nation, a foreign a country, and these people are coming across. If if you got an MS-13 guy coming across and no one catches him, he's you think he, he's not going to be some lone wolf. He's immediately going to hook up with his compadres, and here again the criminality, and they're going to create an environment in their neighborhoods that's going to get them more recruits. Yeah. So. It's a mess. Yeah. You know, what you're speaking about there is something for uh, future conversation as well, which is the cultural wars. And which I talked up front a, a bit about that with the economists as well. But these cultural wars are used as political tools all the time to silence the people is what they're doing. And these are these are just not effective. Uh, but we have to be aware of it as a people here, uh, these cultural wars and how they're being played out. It's It gets messy. It's really, really messy. There's a lot more follow up in relation to crime and the 2022 midterm elections and how people are voting. And there's so much that I just discovered just talking to you guys in this brief time. We'll have to do this a little bit longer session, obviously, ahead here. Uh, big always thank you to Sergeant Betsy Smith and police trainer Dave Smith. Both of you are incredible. Uh, and your commitment to uh, law and order and uh, humanity is, uh, is remarkable. Always a privilege to have you here. And thank you, my fellow Americans, and to all of our dear friends around the globe for joining us here on Viewpoint this Sunday. Remember, it's time to get involved and get loud, America.